test, test, whoop, whoop. Whoa, 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 whoa. How's everybody doing? Everybody almost done? 
If not, hang on a few more days, and I feel like a you know a basted butterball. <laughs> Go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer tonight. Thank you for being with us online. We're glad that you've tuned in tonight. Um, and let's do pray as we. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Let's all, let's pray for um, right now. A couple things going on. We have uh, general council that's taking place up in uh, in uh, Ohio. Uh, so. Uh, that's happening right now. We have our fine arts. Uh, in fact, I think all of our students that are there for the national fine arts are actually competing tomorrow. So uh, just be in prayer, and then they'll make be headed back this way uh, uh, this uh, by the weekend. So just pray for safe travels. They come back from there. Also pray for the. Uh, we have quite a few wildfires in the area, um, and you know with the ken, the tender box that we have out there. With uh, let's pray for rain. My uh, my granddaughter, we were talking about it yesterday, and I said, so we are in class tonight, pray for rain. Uh, let's pray. You know, I watched the weather, and, and rain was all around us except Texas. And I thought, what are you trying to say, God? <laughs> Not going to speculate, but anyway, let's open up in prayer. Father, tonight we're so grateful, uh, Lord, to, to just be able to come together. Lord, I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for salvation. Uh, Lord, I thank you that uh, that we have the privilege of prayer and that we can come to you and, and just lift up our needs. Father, you know the heart of every person here. You know the struggles. You know our, 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 our situation uh, even better than we know. And I pray, Father, that no matter what it is tonight, Lord, we lift it up to you and we ask that you get involved. Bring healing for those that need healing. Uh, Lord, bring deliverance to those that need deliverance. Lord, I pray you'll bring encouragement to those uh, Lord, who is struggling tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just make yourself known and, uh, Lord, you would fill our hearts with your, the body and presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for general counsel, Lord, as it's going on right now, the 60th council of, of the Assemblies of God, Lord, we pray that you would just reign supreme in everything that is done. And, Lord, we pray for our students, uh, Lord, all the students that are participating in, that, in the National Fine Arts, uh, Lord, be with them tomorrow and then on their way home. Lord, we ask for safe travels for each and every one, and bring them home safely, Lord. We rejoice, uh, Lord, in what you're doing in their lives. We pray for all the ministries on campus tonight. Lord, open our hearts, and we ask you to just speak to our heart tonight. Lord, we pray for rain. Lord, we just unite our voices with many, uh, Lord, asking for rain. Lord, we uh, want you to saturate the ground. Lord, protect those who are uh, having to work out in the heat. Lord, we pray for the wildfires. Lord, that you would just, Lord, do what only you can. Lord, we look to you, uh, Lord, to, to be our help. And, Father, we just lift all of these things up to you, uh, believing that we receive what we ask for because we ask it in faith. And in Jesus' powerful name, we all agreed and said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Go ahead and turn with me once again to the book of First John. First uh, John, let me uh, just uh, uh, remind you that we are in our series, uh, Blessed Assurance. Uh, we're, talking, we're going through the book of First John. Uh, we'll, we'll finish this up here in a few weeks. Uh, again, this is a wonderful book, Sunday. Don't forget Sunday. We are also uh, carrying on with questions Jesus asked. This week, the question we're going to answer uh, or we'll look at that Jesus asked is, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Um, so that ought to be, a, I'm, I'm anticipating a, a good word from the Lord, great service on Sunday. And uh, I believe God's doing some good things. Um, let's pray again in our prayer time, pray for your teachers that are headed back, students here soon, just a lot of stuff. Summer's coming to an end, at least on the calendar. Um, I told somebody, I really don't like wishing my life away, but I wish it was November. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, uh, anyway, uh, so let me just throw this out right after service. Uh, Sheila, some of you had asked about it. Let me just give you an update. She had, she had oral surgery done yesterday, um, and uh, is recovering from that, and a lot of obviously a lot of a lot of pain, discomfort. So, I'll, <coughs> pardon me, I'll bug out right after service to get home, and uh, she'll be due for pain med and and get her ready for bed. So if I, I'll, I'll just wave at everybody, and <laughs> and then I'll run out and try to get her squared away. She doesn't do well. Uh, I mean, after all these years, uh, I mean, probably has more pain tolerance than I can even imagine, but. Very dis, very uncomfortable, and and trying to transfer and, and navigate all that. So uh, thanks for your prayer. She did well, by the way. Everything went well. They were very pleased, and uh, 
and then we'll just go from there. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. First uh, John chapter two, and tonight we're going to be. Uh, I, I'm, I'm playing off of last week. Last week I said John gave us some instructions or gave us one word that if we remember, we can live in a world filled with anti- the spirit of Antichrist. And that word is remain, remain. So let's look at verse 28. First John chapter 2, verse number 28. John writes, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure." May the Lord add his blessing to his word uh, this evening. Now, again, last week as I closed out that lesson, I gave you that one word, and it was a key word for living in a time when the spirit of Antichrist is all around. Listen, listen we don't have to look very far to find the spirit of Antichrist. Uh, we see it around, remember, anti, it's, not, it's in place of. It's not opposite, uh, meaning that Jesus is good and the Antichrist is all evil. We, we know that's not true because for the first three and a half years when he comes uh, and sets up his kingdom, uh, we know that he is, you know, he signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. And so there's, there's some good there. And then halfway through that, he breaks that peace treaty and then he unleashes the evil. So, so when we, <coughs> pardon me, when we talk about Antichrist, it just simply means to in replace of or in place of. So, so John, again, John gives us the insight in living in a time when the spirit of Antichrist is all around us. And so the word that I gave you, again, is on the screen, remain. And, and so I want to pick up with that theme tonight in our teaching. Again, now, um, we're told in Scripture, how, how, many of you, how many of you can remember? Now, in my 30 years of pastoring here, I have taught through the book of Revelation, I believe, three times. Uh, and, and I have preached series of messages on end time events, I, I probably have preached, oh my goodness, a number of messages on end time, end of days uh, messages because I, for one, believe that we should be excited about the return of Jesus. Amen? We should be excited about it. And, and so we're told in Scripture that you and I are to live with an expectation of his return. Uh, and, and in fact, I mentioned it last week. Jesus said, none of these things should take us unaware. God has given us his word. In his word, we know things that are going to take place, and we are not unaware of what we see happening around us. So we should live with the expectation that Jesus is going to come. And so when I was a kid growing up, there were three words that I was taught that should define us as far as the coming of the Lord is concerned. That is watching, waiting, and working. Those are the three words that we should, uh, I guess, in, embrace as we wait. We should be watching, we should be waiting on his return, and we should be working. Uh, remember when Jesus, right before his ascension, he left the marching orders to the church, and that was to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. Uh, that is our marching orders. We're still to be evangelizing lost, the lost world. So uh, anyway... Uh, the hope of the rapture, and the reason that we should, there, there are a lot of people today in a lot of churches that don't want to talk about the rapture. They don't want to talk about the second coming. They don't want to talk about the end times. But here's my stance on it. What I believe is that when you start talking about the rapture, it is a motivator for believers to live properly in a time when it seems like all of the restraints have eroded around us. Uh, it, it, you know, again, Jesus said, no one knows the date or the hour. But we have the expectation. Listen, I believe in the imminent return of Christ. I believe uh, I, I've been a student of prophecy for many, many years. Uh, I've, studied, I've studied it a lot. And I believe that the only thing left on the timeline uh, is right now is the rapture. That is what's waiting, and it can happen at any time. And so that should be a motivator for us to live properly or righteously 
in this time. In fact, Jesus told a story. When he was going away, uh, he, he told them. He said, look, I'm going to go away. But then what did he say? He said, but I'm coming again. And, and he gave us the parable of the ten virgins. Anybody remember that? There were five foolish and there were five wise. And what different, differentiated the two was that the five foolish knew that he was coming, had the same information that the five wise did, except they were ill-prepared. They did not provide what was necessary to be ready when the bridegroom came. So that's what differentiated them. They knew he was coming, but they weren't ready. Uh, so when, you know, when I was a teenager, let me just tell you the story. When I was a teenager, my parents left me alone at home. <laughs> I mean, no, that's really not going to be a good idea. So my, <laughs> my parents left me home, home alone while they went to see my brother who was serving uh, in the Air Force at that time. I was still in high school. And so I had to work. Uh, I was working at a local grocery store chain. And so they left me the car and they gave me these instructions. You go to work and you come home. Pretty simple, right? But for a teenage boy, it's kind of hard. <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard. Um, I, uh, they left me the car. I knew my instructions. I had other plans. And, and sure enough, they come home early. And I got caught doing what I was not supposed to do. Um, I was disobeying their instructions. Uh, you know, and, and, and let me just say it wasn't a good night, I promise you. It wasn't a good night. I don't, I don't remember all of the consequences, but I'm sure it was severe. Probably had something to do with losing my car, uh, being grounded. Uh, you know, I, I, here's one thing I realized. I realized I wasn't quite as smart as what I thought I was. Any, anybody, when you were a teenager, did you remember thinking you could outthink your parents and you figured out it didn't work? See, here, here's my problem. My problem was very simple. I did not anticipate my parents returning when they did. Now, now apply that to believers today. How many believers will be ill-prepared when he comes? I think it's the same way with the return of Christ. Many don't anticipate his return, and their lifestyle shows it. Their lifestyle shows it. Our conduct should reflect the fact that he is coming again. Uh, the reality is the nearness of the return of the Lord should cause us to, to walk closely to, uh, with him day by day. It should, again, it should be that motivator. And so in our text tonight, we find three ways to remain in him while we wait for his return. So let me give you these three things tonight. Number one, we should anticipate his return. That should, we should anticipate it. Um, you know, like I said Sunday, we should, we should plan to live forever, but live every day as though it were going to be our last. We should have that expectation. Look, look at verse 28. John, John writes, he said, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now, listen, I, I've heard that for every one verse in the Bible that speaks of his first coming, there are eight more verses that speak of his second coming. That's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot of information. No, none of us should be uh, taken by surprise when Jesus comes again. None of us should be caught off guard like the five foolish virgins when he comes again because there's a lot of information. Jesus spoke of it. The New Testament speaks about the, the coming of the Lord. I mean, so in this passage that John writes, it lays out there's only two possible reactions when Jesus returns. And here's what they are. Number one, we will either be confident or we will be ashamed when he appears. That's it. That, that's our response. If I'm watching, waiting, and working, I will be confident when he comes. But if I'm ill-prepared, I will be ashamed when he comes, contextually, let's look at this uh, from a, a contextual standpoint. John is writing to false teachers. Remember, the book of 1 John, he's writing to give guarantees or to raise the confidence of the believers, and he's also writing to confront the false teachers. So in, in context, he's writing false teachers, but he also has an application for us as believers. Paul, some of you remember, I guess it was last year, I preached a message on the end times and one of my message was, messages was about the Bema of Christ. Anybody remember that? Talked about the Bema of Christ. What is the Bema? 
Well, we know it as the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, that's what the Bema is. And I talked about it. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what he says about the Bema of Christ. He said, for we must all appear, believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, so again, every one of us here tonight uh, and everyone watching online, every one of us as believers will stand before Jesus and give an account of our lives. Now, this is not uh, a judgment as to salvation. It's a judgment about works. The Bible says that we have been saved to do something. Ephesians 2 and 10 tells us that. Our, we're here to work. And so when we stand at the Bema, the work that we do here will be manifest or made brought to light, and there we, it will be judged whether good or bad. Now, if it's judged good, we receive reward for that. If it's judged improper, then it will be burned up. But Paul said, but you will be saved. Every one of us will either be confident or we'll be ashamed. So the question, will, our de will my deeds be acceptable or will I be ashamed when he comes? Again, all born-again believers will be accepted, but not every deed will be accepted. That's the reality. So, so John, let me break that verse down, 28. John gives us a few words. One of the words, he says, continue. Continue. What does it mean to continue? Well, it's a word that's translated in, in, in another way as abide. Abide. It's used 24 times in the book of 1 John. Abide. It's the idea of constantly remaining in deep uh, relationship with God. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, it's that deep connection that we have with God. John said to continue in him. And then another word he uses is appears. So that when he appears, what does that mean? Well, it means to be made visible. So again, we're not talking about, remember one of the first things that John says in writing this, this uh, letter in chapter 1 is that what we have here is our faith is not based on myths. It's not based on fables. It's not make-believe. These are historical people. This is a historical Jesus who lived, who died, was buried, three days later resurrected. So, uh, so when he appears, what did the angel say when Jesus ascended? Why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus will come also in like manner. So John said when he appears, when he appears, when he was made visible, Again, another word he uses is confident. Confident. We can be confident. What does that mean? It means cheerful courage or boldness or fearlessness, especially in the presence of a high-ranking person. We're confident in his presence because we're clothed in his righteousness. He uses the word ashamed. What is ashamed? The root word of this, it means to disgrace. It means to disgrace. So those who are not ready are disgraced. And lastly, coming, again, it talks about his coming. We won't be ashamed at his coming. Uh, again, that means, uh, that, that gets the idea, again, we're talking about in the Greek, that gives us word pictures, and that is a word picture of a coming monarch or a coming king or an emperor. It's an important visit. How many know that Jesus' coming is an important thing? In light of this verse, here's a question that we have to ask ourselves uh, if, if when we're involved doing something we shouldn't do, we ought to ask ourselves, do I want to be found doing this when Jesus comes? You know, back years ago, we used to have those bracelets. What was that, WWJD? You know, what would Jesus do? Well, here, that's a question for you. Do I want to be found doing this when Jesus comes? So, so the first thing, again, if, I'm gonna, if we're talking about three ways to remain in him, first of all, I anticipate his coming. The second thing is, we appreciate our position. Appreciate our position. So, again, we should all be anticipating the imminent return of Jesus. And the second thing is we should appreciate what we've been given in Christ. Again, I mentioned it Sunday that, that, that when we get to heaven, right now I understand we don't understand all that God has provided for us. We see in a glass darkly, but when we get to heaven, we'll understand. We'll have full knowledge and we'll understand. And I believe we'll understand grace more complete than we even do right now. But John says there are things that you and I have that we can be thankful for that helps us. In fact, verse 29 through 
through verse 2, here's what he said. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love of the Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is, is that it did not know him. Dear children, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but, when, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So what do we have? Well, number one, believers have been born of God. So what does that mean? Well, so, so let me just tell you, culturally, in that culture, a child would, would, would only officially become a son or a daughter when the father pronounced the name of the child or called them out. That was it. When that father spoke their name, they became part of the family. So that's what's behind the word called right there that John uses, called. When he calls our name. So, so we enter God's family. How do we do that? We enter God's family through new birth when we are adopted into his forever family. We're, 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 we're king's kids. When you, if you are born again, you, belong, you are a child of God. That's what the Bible teaches. Verse 29 says that when we do right, when we do right as what is right, we resemble our righteous father. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born of him. How many ever had somebody come up to you and say, you look just like your father or you look like your mother? Or maybe some of you have had somebody come up and say, you know what, you act just like your daddy. <laughs> or, or you act like your mama. <laughs> Same concept, okay? Same concept. There, there should be a resemblance. There should be a resemblance. You know, I always, uh, I, I haven't had, pre-COVID, I guess I, I got down a, a fairly a, a good number of times, but I haven't preached in my hometown in, in Mobile, Alabama in a long time. But just about every time I would preach there in, in Mobile, there would always be somebody that would come up and say, you're Ed's boy, aren't you? Again, it wasn't that my dad was a preacher, because, you know, he only had that one sermon that, Everybody knows so well. <laughs> uh, but they would always come up and say, you're Ed's boy. Now, I didn't wear a shirt that says I'm Ed's boy. But there's mannerisms. My, even my, my sister sometimes say, you walk just like Daddy does. Now it's, you got the spot just like Daddy did. <laughs> you know, but... But a son or a daughter should, family, there should be family resemblance, right? So that's what John says. If, if he is righteous and does what is righteous, then, then those who are part of that family ought to also do righteous things. Oftentimes, we don't show family resemblance, right? <laughs> I heard, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I heard a story about Charlie Chaplin. I heard Charlie Chaplin entered a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest, and he came in third. I don't know that to be true, but I did read that, and I thought that was interesting because sometimes we don't resemble. We don't resemble like we should, the familiar resemblance we don't have. But again, one of the things John says that we have is that we have been born of God. Number two, believers are recipients of God's lavish love. I, I, again, that's something that we can't really grasp because so much of what we have in our world today, the, 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 the love of our world, it's so uh, reciprocal. I love you if you love me. I'll do for you if you do for me. But that's not how God loves us. God loves us with a pure love that, I, that we really don't understand. And, and I can picture, again, remember, John is writing as an elder, an elderly of the faith. He's somewhere in 80s, 90 years of age at this time, the last uh, disciple, original disciple of Jesus. And so I imagine as John's writing this letter, he contemplates the truth that we are God's children and, and while he's thinking about that, I think he pauses for a moment to consider God's incredible love. And that's where he writes in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us, bestowed. He just gets, he just gets caught up in the moment. Have you, ever, have you ever sat down maybe at a time of worship? I know we do praying with the pastor on Tuesdays and 
we'll have some worship going and, and we pray and, and, and there, there'll be some times that, that there'll be a song that will come on that just, man, it just takes you right into the presence. There's just something about that. You start thinking about the love of God. You know, every one of us here are loved immensely. John writes in his gospel, for God so loved the world. And I know sometimes we quote that and we generalize it, but the truth of the matter is, for God so loved Mike Mizell. And you can put your name there, that he gave his only son. So if Mike Mizell or John Smith or Carrie or whoever would accept, he would not perish, she would not perish, but have eternal life. I think as John the elder is writing and thinking about the fact that we are children of God, he's overwhelmed with, with the love. And, I, and, and the word that he uses there, the word behold in, in the Greek, uh, actually has the idea of remembering something. So that's why I think John is sitting there going down memory lane and he's thinking about the fact that we're children of God. And he says, behold, he remembers. You know, the interesting thing is the only other time this word is used in the Bible is referring to something you can see. So again, John is creating this, this image in his mind, you know, that he could almost see the love of God that he bestowed upon us. He goes on and says, how great, how great of love, the Father. That word, how, that phrase, how great, talks about quantity and quality of God's love. And, and it's interesting because if you read that in the original, what it means literally is what foreign love what foreign love, or, or another one would be from what country. So, so think about what he's trying to say there. We could say his love is out of this world. That's, that's kind of what he's trying to picture here, is that God's love, when you think about how much he loves us, it's just out of this world. This love has been lavished on us. It means it's been given as a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. It's kind of like what Paul said in Romans chapter 5 when he said, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's lavished. Notice he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. He did it without any guarantee that John, you would accept anything he ever did. He went anyway. He went without any guarantee that Mike Mizell would bend the knee and confess him as Lord, he went anyway because he loved me. That's lavished. That's lavished. You know, I've, the Lord tarries and everything goes as planned, I guess. In September, Sheila and I will be married 37 years. Yeah, I know. And, of course, I'm looking out here and I see some people well over 50 years and stuff. <laughs> uh, but I had to start somewhere, right? So thirty long time, 37 years. You know, and I think of all the, the wonderful memories that she and I have made in our 37 years of marriage together. We've got a lot of memories. Um, I was going through some pictures the other day, uh, my, just, just kind of looking back through some things. And back when I was a young man, <laughs> We were stationed in Germany, and, and it was, it was just, just so cool to sit there and go down memory lane. And, you know, like most couples, Sheila and I have this unique way of interacting with each other that nobody else gets. And, and, and maybe you know, maybe you have that. They're just, they're just simply certain things that she and I do that, that again, just unique to us, um, the level of humor that we have in our relationship. And again, with her being disabled, that helps a lot. But, you know, it's it just, it's an interesting thing. I love, I can get a smile on her face and it, and it just, I just cherish that. I cherish that. You know, when I travel and, and I can tell you right now, when I go on a trip and it doesn't matter if it's three or four days or, you know, when we were in Poland, I think it was 12 days, I came back home I walk into the house, and it's the same thing every single time. I walk in the house. She's sitting in her wheelchair, and I come around the corner, and she gets this big grin on her face, and she goes, you're here? And, of course, I always come back with a smart aleck comment. No, I'm not here. <laughs> you know, just something like that. And, I mean, it's just, just silly memories that cherish. You know, so so I, I tell you that because maybe John... 
it was overwhelmed as he thought about the love of God. I mean, think about everything that he saw with Jesus. Remember, in the beginning of chapter 1, he said, I was an eyewitness. Again, what I'm telling you, he says, is not, it's not fable, it's not mythology. I saw this stuff. I was an eyewitness to all that Jesus did. So maybe he's thinking about what Jesus did, what he saw when he was with him for three and a half years. What is it that he remembers about him? What was it that motivated him? I'll tell you what it was. It was the love of God. That's what was different about Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life. John saw that. <clears throat> and maybe that's what he was thinking about. You see, John now as an old man is writing this letter, but he never lost the wonder of God's amazing love. Uh, let me just, let me, let me do something. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to, I wrote down some, the, the same verse in several different translations. I want to read them to you. And as I read them to you, I want you to note how the translator picks up the nuance of God's lavish love. The NIV translates this verse like this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The, new, the, the King James Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. The New Living Translation. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. The Living Bible translates it. See how very much our Heavenly Father loves us, for he allows us to be called his children. Think of it. We really are. That's good. Last one. Here's what the Amplified Bible, here's the way it reads. Of course, if you know anything about the Amplified Bible, it amplifies. <laughs> yeah. So he goes, see what an incredible quality of love the Father has given, shown, bestowed on us. That we should be permitted to be named and called and counted the children of God, and so we are. Isn't that great? I'm a child of God. If I'm born again, if Christ is Lord of my life, I am a child of God. Again, there's no, it's not waiting for some future moment. Right now, that's what I am. Now, again, I may not always reflect the family resemblance, okay, but he's still working on me. He's still working on me. My, my parents, my dad in particular, they raised me, and, and you know what they did? They used discipline because I wasn't always what I needed to be. But I didn't stop being part of the family. Max Lucado, I think it was, who said this, and I've always quoted it because I love it. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. And there's nothing you can do that will make him love you less than what he already does. My, my way of saying that is God can't love you more and he won't love you less than he does right now. Psalm 36, verse 7 says, How priceless is your unfailing love. It goes on and says, Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced or I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or future, or any powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. The third thing he tells us is the best is yet to come. So in chapter 3, again, we went through verses 3. In chapter 3, verse 1, it tells us what we are. Verse 2 tells us what we shall be, okay? So here's what he says. Little children, now we are children of God. That's what we are. And what we will be has not yet been made known. That's what we will be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One author summarized the Christian life in three steps, and here's what he said. I am not what I used to be. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I'm going to be. That's the Christian journey. 
Every one of us here could say, you know what, I'm not what I used to be. How many know you're not what you used to be? We, we've been changed. Listen, if there's no transformation, there's not a conversion. You know, th- this idea in modern church that we can say a simple prayer and, and never have any change, that, that's nonsense. That's complete. My theological term is B-O-L-O-G-N-A. There is a change. And if there isn't a change, there isn't a conversion. If any man be in Christ, Paul wrote in the Corinthian letter, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. So I'm not what I used to be. And, and you know what? I still don't measure up. I'm not what I should be. And I'm not what I'm going to be. But I'm on that track. Because he's still working on me. There was a story I read about, some of you might know it better than me, Michelangelo. One day, uh, one of his servants brought him a huge piece of marble <laughs> and uh, asked uh, Michelangelo what he saw in such an ugly rock. To which he replied, I see the statue of David because I'm not seeing what you see. I'm seeing what it will be. You, you've heard me talk about when my children were young and we were raising our children I always bragged on my kids. And it wasn't because I was duped into thinking my kids were perfect. They were by far not perfect. They were not perfect. But as their father, I wanted to brag on what I knew they could be, not what I knew them to be. Because I think sometimes we get stuck in speaking death. You know, remember, the power of the tongue, it's a real thing. And if I just speak death to my children, then I shouldn't be surprised when they produce, when, when my words produce something negative in their life. And so I wanted them to always know, Dad thinks you can, you can do anything you put your mind to. Because you know what? I believe my Heavenly Father believes that about me. Hebrews tells us we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. These are people that have gone on before us. There are people, elder saints that are around us. They cheer us on like, you can do this. When I find that hiccup in the road, <clears throat> when I become weary and well-doing, there's the cloud of witnesses that said, you know what, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep taking that next step. <clears throat> it's amazing what happens there. You see, sometimes we get stuck seeing what we are, not what we could be. I'm so glad I'm so glad that our Heavenly Father knows that vessel that he's been working on, according to Jeremiah 18. He said, you know, he started making that vessel, and that wheel started turning, and, and pressure was applied. He said, but you know what? That vessel was marred in his hands. What does he do? He doesn't toss it out with the trash. The Bible says he starts all over, and he makes it again. Sometimes he keeps making us over and over and over again, because you know what? <coughs> Pardon me. He's got an idea of what we should be, and he'll not stop. Like Michelangelo, you chip away everything that doesn't look like David. And in the end, you'll get David. Let's break down this verse a little bit. Notice what he said. Now we are children of God. Now we are. Our identity and our position is sure. I'm a child of God. You, if you're born again, are a child of God. He goes on, what we will be has not yet been made known. What does that mean? Well, it means that this world is not our home. That we're, we're made for another place and, and the details of that are, are somewhat of a mystery, at least right now. But when he is revealed, in fact, that's what he says next. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So, so for those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there will be a total transformation that is coming when we see him face to face. Now, again, that's shrouded in mystery a little bit, but I have to take God, I have to take the word uh, of the Lord as it is. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, what do you say happens? We shall change. How's that change? Well, part of it, is this immortal puts on immortality. And this corruptible body puts on incorruption. That's, that's part of the change that we have, that we have right there. Again, I, I think part of the change is we don't have to worry about Weight Watchers. We don't have to worry about going to Planet Fitness every day and 
doing 30 minutes on the treadmill and, and a 45-minute weight circuit. We don't have, come on, can I get a witness? <laughs> what are the, they, J, J. Don George always said, call me a taxi. <laughs> Here's some more verses that I think kind of go along with this. Psalm 17, 15. He said, and I in righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Again, this is all talking about what you and I get to see one day. This is what we have right now. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 51, 52, I just quoted verse 58, but here's what Paul said. He said, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye <coughs> at the last trumpet. He goes on and he picks up more of that in Philippians chapter 3. He said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He also picks up the theme of what happens if we're not ready. Second Thessalonians, he describes what happens to those who do not believe in Jesus Christ he said, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you have believed our testimony to you. In other words, you got, again, we're either going to be confident at his appearing or we're going to be ashamed. So as we anticipate his appearing and appreciate our position the last thing of our, our lesson tonight is this. Every appeal for right living and loving is based on our position. Our righteousness, okay, our righteous position should lead to righteous practice. In other words, because he has done right, we should do right. So that's the third thing is aspire to purity. Born of God, okay. Uh, so, so the third thing, we should aspire to purity. Move, so we move from what we, what we are to what we shall be to what we should be right now. So that's the progress of what John's writing. He writes about what we are to what we shall be and to what we should be right now. So look at verse number three. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So again, we live in a world today where it seems like all of the Morality and all of the uh, Christian influence has waned in our culture. Uh, if, if somebody asks uh, if something is right or wrong, very, very seldom do they ever factor in what does the Lord say about it, okay? That's just where we are in our culture. And, and so what happens is there are a lot of believers today that believe uh, that what they, that it really doesn't matter. As long as they say a simple prayer, that how they live their life has no bearing on anything. That's not true. He says here, everyone who has this hope, what hope is he talking about? He's talking about the hope of his return. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, that, you start preaching messages on purity and holiness and righteousness today, you're liable to be la labeled a, a fanatic or a legalist or something like that. But, but the truth of the matter is, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's not my words, it's his words. And, and, he, and he meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Uh, you know, the imminent return of Christ should be an incentive for us to live in purity in the present world that we live in. One pastor put it like this, and I, I thought it was an interesting way of doing this. He said, an unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator. A Christian who sins is a child sinning against his father. The unbeliever sins against law, the believer sins against love. Again, when I, Paul said that we as believers should no longer continue in sin. Why? Because Christ has given us the victory over sin. He's enabled us to be more than conquerors. So, so when we sin, we are sinning against the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart to keep us pure. Hope in the Bible is not just wishful thinking. Okay, It's a confident expectation that God will do exactly what God said he would do. So what does that mean? It just means he keep his promise. How many of you believe that when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, 
there you may be also. How many do you do you believe that tonight? That's so that's our hope based on the promises that Jesus met. Uh, and so this hope should have a transforming effect on our lives. In fact, Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Since we have this hope, live pure. Live right. Since we have, what hope? The hope that heaven is our destiny. That's a motivator. You know, when I was a kid, and I've and, and, and got to close, but when I was a kid, the sermons on the rapture, you've heard me talk about this for years. I mean, we would have traveling evangelists that would come in, and they would have banners, and they would have flow charts, and they would have all, kind, all kinds of things about prophecy and end-time things. And, and, man, they would speak with such <coughs> passion that as a, a teenage boy, you know, mostly living in rebellion. I mean, there were, time, I've, there were times I'd go out of church on a Sunday night, and I'd go out, and I'd look up, and I'd, 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 I'd just see the sun, the, the moon turning to blood right before my eyes. I mean, it just was so real. And I would live with that reality that, you know, today could be the day, and even when I was sinning, it wasn't fun because I thought, man, he could come at any moment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I just, that was just the reality. And now, you know, that's what Peter said. Scoffers would arise and say, look, everything continues just like it has been all along. But nobody knows the day and the hour that he comes. See, my hope is not in a better government. Lord knows they have let us down more ways than we can count. It's not a better president, a better governor, a better mayor, better. It's not. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in the place that he's gone to prepare for me. And if I have that hope in me, then I live pure before him. I reflect the image of my father in this world. You know, a lot of people like to study prophecy and end time. Eschatology is the branch of theology that studies end times, eschatology. <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of people love to study eschatology and end time things try to figure things out. You know, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it really is. Um, but to me, the studying of the end times is about motivating me to live righteously in this world right now. That, that's why it's important to me. Since Jesus is coming back, let's be prepared. Let's be ready. Trust him with your life. Rearrange your priorities. Make sure that he's Lord of all. Live with that confidence right now. Remember, John said, we are children of God right now. That's who we are. <clears throat> what we're going to be, uh, we don't worry so much about that. But right now, we're children of God. And as a child of God. So, so I'm, I'm going to close with this. How many of you have family traditions? And, or, or uh, Let me see if how, how to phrase this. <clears throat> I'm a son of Edward Leslie Mizell Sr. My dad had mannerisms. My dad, my dad had a character. You've heard me talk about my dad, again, being a firefighter on the side. He had a roof and construction business. My dad never, I, I never signed a contract. You know, we went to bid on a job. He never did a contract, never had any paperwork. My dad had one thing, and that was his hand. If he went to a uh, a client and said, hey, I'll do your roof for X number of dollars. That person would shake my dad's hand. That was a binding agreement. What that taught me as a, as a child growing up, a young man, is that my words should mean something. That if I say something, it's, there should be confidence in what I say. And, and, and so what I'm saying is that you and I need to live with confidence that our Father has spoken. He's given his word. And if you want to get technical with it, Jesus said he needed to go away so that the Holy Spirit would come. Why? Because he now becomes the guarantee that the promise will be fulfilled. If I have this hope in me, let me live pure in the evil days in which we live. Won't you stand with me tonight?
Pardon me. I think part of that lavish love that God bestows on us is so that we can pour out to it. We have a, how many know the world's hurting right now? Every, everywhere we turn, there's division, you know, from, in, in every way imaginable. You've got racial division. You've got economic division. You've got educational division. You've got, again, every, every group that you can even imagine. There's just divisiveness in our society. God has sent the church to be light and to be salt. And we have been recipients of the lavish love of God that's been poured out upon us. Now we are children of God right now. And I think part of that is so that now we can lavish God's love on others. And I know that's very difficult today because I, I hear it all the time. Pastor, how do we, how do we maintain his, his standard of righteousness in a world that doesn't agree with it anymore? Well, here's the thing. You know, we always run the risk of being labeled intolerant, bigot, and worse. I never apologize for standing on the truth of God's word. But with that said, how we respond to people is very, very important. We live in a world that the author of confusion has brought confusion. We need the one that brings peace. So may God's love that he's lavished on us, now may we lavish it on others. And may we stand for what is right. May we live righteous in these unrighteous times. I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer tonight. And I'm just going to close with this. Maybe you're here tonight. And, and he simply said, if we have this hope in us, we purify ourselves. We live pure. Maybe you're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I don't have that hope. Maybe, I, maybe you got caught up in just the busyness of life and you've lost the anticipation of the excitement and joy of the return of the Lord. Well, I want to pray that God would renew that in you. That is the blessed hope of the church. It's not escapism. It's looking forward to what Jesus promised. I'm going to prepare a place, and if I go, I will come back for you so that where I am, you may be also. Nobody looking around, if that's you tonight, say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I just want God to restore some hope in my life today. Amen, amen. How about online? If you'll just comment, we'll pray with you as well. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, I, I can only imagine the elder John writing these words as he talks about your coming and how we're to reflect who you are and then just to be overwhelmed with the fact of how much you love us. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished, bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Lord, I pray if there are those here tonight that are struggling, Lord, maybe the enemy has told them that they're no good, that they've done too much wrong, that you could never love them. Lord, may your words penetrate our hearts tonight that you've lavished upon us love that we can't even comprehend. Lord, for the hands that went up tonight, Lord, I pray hope would be reborn. Lord, restore that hope. Lord, as we live in that present hope, Lord, may we live expectantly, waiting, watching, working until you come and call us home. Father, I ask you to go with us tonight. Give us a wonderful, restful night. Should you tarry, Lord, bring us on Sunday as I preach the message, Why Are You Crying? We answer that question, Lord, I pray that you'll bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you, and even now ordain what you're going to do. Father, I love and I bless each one here tonight. Give us a great restful night, I pray, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.